It's time for our greatest hits edition of Delivering Marketing Joy. On this episode, we take a look back at all of the members who have been on the Power 50 who've also been on our show. We dig deep into a few lessons that they taught us along the way. First up, we talk with Greg Musillo from Proforma, and he gives us tips on growing a business. As I'm kind of looking at it, you know, you founded Proforma uh, from a startup to this multinational, successful, hugely successful company. What are some tips that you could give or some words of encouragement to entrepreneurs who are trying to start a business today? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first and most important one is dream very big, right? Um, number one, dream very big. I think number two would be go find and talk with some people that are already in the business. Um, it's amazing to me how few phone calls I actually get from people, even for all the media we put out there, social media and more. To just say, hey, great, could I come over and talk to you for 10 minutes and, and just learn to ask the question you just asked me, Kirby, right? Like, man, how, how did you do it? How did you go from $200 phone answering machine to half a billion dollars in sales? And and uh, so number one, dream big. Number two, network and learn. Number three, never, ever quit, right? Because I can't tell you how many times, Kirby, you can relate to this. You build a great business, too. And how many times I thought... Number one, I had people tell me I was crazy, and I thought maybe I should quit. My mom told me I was crazy for leaving a big eight CPA firm and when there was eight of them. And, and I had people, when I'd be out on the street, just knocking on doors saying, are you like the third person calling on me today trying to sell me this stuff? And that's defeating, Kirby. That's just really defeating. And, and so dream big, network, never give up. Don't ever listen to those naysayers, whether it's in your own head or anybody else's head. And um, probably the final one would be major in the majors. I think there's a lot of people in our industry that major in the minors. Mm. And I think it's critical for business to people to separate out what's the wealth building activity, what's the massively successful activity, and what's the other stuff that's just getting in my way or making me crazy. And and major in the majors, and everything else will fall in place. Next up, we hear from Brandon McKay from Snugs, and he talks about how to innovate and do it the smart way. You kind of mentioned this earlier. Uh, if you've been in business for any amount of time, right, any period of time, you're going to have some failures, especially if you're trying new things like you guys have done. So can you think of any specific lesson you've learned from one of your failures? Um... No, I think the, the specific lesson that I tell everybody is, you know, the promotional products is a long-term investment. Yeah. There's no get-rich-quick scheme in the promo arena. Mm. So if, if you have an idea, if you want to invest 100000 or a $1 million and you want ROI in three years, it's probably not the space for you. Mm. But if you want a long-term play, um, be willing to risk and risk off often you know the the products that we risked and didn't develop and you know some would say hey you shot an air ball <laughs> uh, i think taught us really good lessons but oftentimes we brought equipment in-house to facilitate those that open doors to other products down the road mm. no that's so we had a failure but it was just turned out to be a home run later 
So can I dig into that? Because I know this, I'm, I'm going off script here, certainly from our, our squash, but like when you go, when you look at a line like that or you look at a new product or whatever, are there any like things that you kind of put yourself in a box and say, look, I'm, I'm willing to invest this much, but until there's return, is there any uh, formula or anything like that that you use? I, I think in the past it was kind of use every ounce of resource that we had left, capitalize, <laughs> okay. and hope for the best. I would say in the last two years, our CFO has done a, a better job. She's she's done actually a great job of drawing a box around me. I like it. Making me vet this out prior to launch mm. to kind of just make this thing reside inside of a budget. And, you know, one is probably not as fun for me. <laughs> Fair. You know, I kind of like to, to write checks. My body can't cash sometimes. <laughs> And but you know she's she's drawn a box around me that I think has made the launch of Traverse very successful. Now we get the chance to talk to Chuck Fandos, who talks about how important the customer experience is. So the other thing I recently read an article that you wrote um, about making the experience of buying promo more simple, which I it really resonated with me. It's something we talk about here at my office a lot. Why do you think it's so hard to look at things from our clients' perspective sometimes? I just think that's the way that we work. And, and I think that uh, clients want to think of us as a commodity, promotional products, because they're on Amazon, they're on websites, and they think that they can find anything on their phone and get a better price. And we overplay how complicated it is because of the imprint. So we, we tend to lead sales pitches with, you can't believe how unbelievably un, uh, complicated what we do is. So we're going to project on you how we operate to the customers instead of saying what works for them and what makes sense from our point of view. And that's really the way I tried to write that article. And I actually got a lot of response on, you know, hey, don't make it complicated. And quite honestly, the customers don't give a shit about distributors businesses they want what they want exactly. why don't we deliver it and let's let's sit on the other side of the table and design our services and products to to fit their needs not what works best for us and the different machinations we go through to deliver products next up justin zavadil and then mark graham both talk about managing teams from all over the place so the other thing that fascinates me, um, you know, my organization is not a huge organization. Yours obviously is very big, um, large organization, team members all over the country. Mm -hmm. How do you manage all that? What, what do you think is key for keeping everybody sort of rowing in the same direction? It's, uh, it's interesting and it, it's difficult. I mean, I think that, I think, but it's like what we talked about earlier. It's, it's a culture. Everybody's got to, like you, you, you said it, Correctly, we talk about we talk about rowing. We talk about having our oar in the water at all times, and everybody got going after the same same objective. You see this mural behind me. This is a I'm a huge Gopher fan. You know, PJ Fleck is our coach, and his big thing is row the boat, and it's his his whole his whole mantra. And we kind of have always been that same way, even even without that affiliation. But but I think it, it it's it's kind of like you listen to your customer. It's not a whole lot different from, from what you're doing, Kirby. I mean, your customers are telling you what they need. 
And you just have to learn to delegate a little bit more and get really good people in really good positions. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm pretty blessed because our, our leadership team and our directors are they're the best people in the industry as far as I'm concerned. They, they know that they know our salespeople, our end users and our suppliers are all our customer. And we're trying to make a, a win, win, win for everyone. Mm-hmm. And everyone's working towards that goal. We have to, everyone's got the right intent, right? Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, what I always say is when we talk about, about, you know, you can't get anywhere big unless you have big dreams, mm-hmm. but you can't achieve those big dreams unless you have small measurable goals that you can go against every, you know, right. every few, you know, week, quarter, month. So for me, it's like, hey, what are our big dreams? What are our big strategic goals? And then what are the small measurable things that each department and each person has to do in order to achieve that. And, you know, you win some, you lose some, mm-hmm. you, you make mistakes, you get, you know, you, you, you can talk to a variety of our people and what they, I, what I think they will all tell you is that we care and we're trying to, we're, we're everyone has the right intent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like to make sure we have that atmosphere where people aren't afraid to make mistakes. You don't, you don't get any better unless you try things mm-hmm. and people don't try things if they're nervous. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things where you just got to just got to encourage people and it all comes back to the same culture like we talked about before. So the other thing I know now is common skew is international, right? Like not only from a customer base, but from employees, you have employees that are in the new office and going to be growing in there. But you also have several remote team members, um, I think, both in Canada and in the U.S. That's right. Yep. So how do you how do you manage that both, you know, for remote and on site? Yeah, so of, of our total team, the, the majority of them are in Toronto, and that has been, uh, that's been really important for us. I think this is the first point I'd make, is that having that core team in the city and in one office has been really critical to the creativity and the collaborative spirit that, we, that we've been able to create at the company. Um, and that includes uh, all key functions, so everything from uh, development and design. We do that all in Toronto. We don't offshore that. So we have that team that's working right alongside sales, customer success, marketing, and finance. And then, of course, our executive team. And that that creates this really cool environment. But as we've grown, as you've said, it's not possible to have everyone all in the, all in the same city, particularly when you're looking for special, specific talent. So we do have, um, it is five of our colleagues of the total office are in remote locations, either in a co-working space or they work out of their house. Um, and that has been by necessity. So one example, we've got one member of our customer success team, she's in Vancouver, and that was very intentional because we've got our whole West Coast um, customer service to support and make sure that we could support those hours. So that was intentional to put her out there. Bree, she's amazing. Um, and then, of course, we've got three colleagues that are in the U.S., uh, Samantha, Bobby, and and Dave, who are special, special talents on our organization. And um, so I think getting to the main part of your question, uh, we've been able to keep in touch through technology, of course, is probably the number one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actively use uh, Google Hangouts. That's a main, main thing for us. I know that you and Bill uh, Petrie are fans of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we have these regular interactions where we're seeing one another and are having those regular touch points. Um, and I also think, and this is probably pretty obvious, is that I think that transparency and 
lots of communication is key to making these members that are in the remote offices feel like they're part of the team. Mm. But that said, what I will also say when I think about Sam, Bobby and Dave specifically, they also love the, 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 the room to do their jobs where they're not necessarily, um, we're not in their face all the time. So I think that there's that nice balance of that independence and freedom with that feeling of being really tied into the office. And I would say the same thing of Robert and Bree who are in, in remote offices as well. Finally, on this episode of Delivering Marketing Joy, we talk with Jeremy Lott from Sanmar. And Jeremy goes into how they dug into doing good in business. Now you and I talked uh, on a phone call not too terribly long ago and I was telling you how I admire Sanmar for working to do good. Can you talk a little bit about why you have, maybe about that mission and why you have it? Yeah, so I always think like, my dad started the company in 1971 and there was, uh, he, he really started this because it was, um, he had gotten, uh, like, there was an ethical piece of, like, the, the very beginning, or values piece, maybe is the right word, at the very beginning. He had bought 1,200 t-shirts from the largest supplier in America at the time. The, the shirts came in, they were the wrong shirt, not what he'd ordered. Mm. The supplier told him, um, you're a CRE customer, you have your shirts, I have your money, the deal is done, and hung up on him. Oh. And my mom really said to him at the time, they're the biggest, why don't you go compete with him? And so he had this mantra at the very beginning that was kind of tell the truth and be nice. That was his mantra for how he wanted to build a business. Love so it. those values were built in, I think, day one. I think a couple of things, though, uh, changed the way I looked at the world. And, and maybe the biggest was in 2012 when there was a large factory that collapsed in Bangladesh and uh, over a 1,000 people died. And there was a little bit of a soul-searching moment for me saying, Hey, are we in apparel production um, part of a problem in the world? Are we, um, you know, creating, you know, child labor, forced labor? You know, are we paying people fairly? Are we doing all these terrible things? And now are we actually putting people in dangerous working conditions? Mm -hmm. People are dying making these shirts. Um, and I thought about it uh, because that was the that was the narrative. If you watch the news, yeah. um, I said for the last 15 years, I had spent a lot of time traveling the world in factories. And I said, that was real. The factory collapse was real, but there's a lot of really good factories and there were great partners who were doing good things in the community. And I really thought to myself, if we could take the um, our buying power and our influence with factories to do good things, we could have a pretty significant influence. Today, we think there's somewhere about 130, 140,000 people globally who sold so for Sanmar. That's a pretty big amount of people that we could impact and so we started really thinking well, how we could do that and so we started talking to our factory partners and we said well what are you guys doing um in your community what are you doing for healthcare? what are you doing for education what are you doing beyond just you know paying people a fair wage and being compliant and some of them started to say well we're actually doing these really innovative things we thought well that was really interesting and then we went to the guy across the street and we said you know this factory over here is doing these really innovative things what are you guys doing? The answer was, we're not doing any of that. We're saying, hmm, well, you know, part of our purchasing decision is going to be, what are you doing to influence, to impact, you know, your community? So maybe you should think about some things that the guy across the street is doing. And that was really impactful. We started to see um, more and more of our factories kind of engage in our partners. So for us, a big piece of our uh, production decision is, what's the impact that um, our partner is making kind of in their community? How are they investing to do it? Um, and we think that we can not just influence 
those people, but the, the communities and the, the countries kind of beyond that. And it's become a really rallying cry for everyone at Sandmark here is how do we um, take this product that we sell, this basic polo shirt, and how do we make it more than that? How do we actually kind of really create a difference um, in the world with it? And we've been, uh, it's been a really important part of our mission. Thanks for watching this extra special edition of Delivering Marketing Joy. We'll see you next time. What's up?